Uh, my name is Anthony Burton, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Bridge Church. Uh, if this is your first time visiting with us, I welcome you to uh, Bridge Church. Here at Bridge, we are a ministry of reconciliation, simply meaning we're calling people into relationship with God through Christ Jesus, and as a result, into relationship with one another. And so we're looking at uh, bridging all of the walls and the gaps and the things that separate us and uh, keep us apart. Uh, the bridge. Christ is the, Christ is the bridge. We are a representation of him. We are Christ. Christ is the bridge. The bridge. Because there is a gap that exists between us and God. But because of Christ, there's a connection. And we are one in him. Now, thank you for being here today. I appreciate the band. Thank you so much, Kenny. Thank you, Chris, for standing in for us. If he can hear me uh, back in uh, the back. There is a lot of sickness, and, and I want you to be uh, very prayerful and mindful uh, of those who are, are ill and dealing with flu and all of those kinds of things. Uh, we started uh, 2020 on the journey, the journey 2020, doing it together. We are going through the Bible as a body together, right? And so we have... Uh, these reading plans, these great reading plans that have been put together uh, for us to follow along uh, as we read. Uh, and this particular week, uh, and we're going chronologically, which means that we're going in the historical order of the events in the scripture. Job is one of the earliest books that we have uh, uh, available to us. And so it sort of fits right in after creation, right? And so we're going to be looking at uh, Job. This week's readings uh, were all about Job uh, and his life. I think this week in particular, we started at around uh, chapter 11, uh, 10 or 11, and we went through the end of the book. So we're like moving fast pace because we got to get through in the year, right? And then the messages on Sunday will be sort of a 50,000 foot view, uh, if you will, of what was read uh, uh, during the week. Uh, as well as our small groups during the week are going to be uh, looking at the challenges of what we read, as well as our uh, youth ministry and children's ministry. They're going to follow along, uh, too. Uh, this week in our small group, we had a great time uh, looking at Job and answering some questions and uh, just thinking about it and considering it in depth and uh, just really grateful for that time that we had. Uh, it's a time that we can pray together, uh, read uh, God's word together. And let me just say this with regard to God's word, because some of you may be thinking like, why are you, what's the point? What are you going through this exercise for? Well, let me tell you in terms of my view of the scriptures. I believe that the scriptures are uh, inspired by God, that they are inerrant, that God has given them to us uh, to, to help us through everything pertaining to life and godliness. We talked about that last week. And so there's uh, such a rich joy and peace and, and so much to offer that the scriptures have for us 
This is our life and our living. The Spirit of God and His Word. Right? And so it's important that we are uh, entrenched as believers, uh, that we're not just believers in name only, but we're actually following His Word and, and trying to live the life, no, through His power, living the life that He's called us to live. And that power is only available and accessed through His Word. Now, it's not this book per se, right, the physical pages. It's the words, the, the Word. It's the Word. It's the Word. His Word is a light to my feet. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light upon my path. Now, Job. Look at the life of Job. I'm sure if you read through the week, I know that you read with lots of questions. Did you have lots of questions? Did Job kind of blow your mind? So like the obvious question that comes from Job is why do bad things happen to good people? Or somebody might say, why do good things happen to bad people? Well, the question that I have is, what is good and what is bad? They seem like pretty relative terms uh, to me. Why do good things happen to bad people? I don't know. Well, as I was reading through, I had the thought of uh, a person. Uh, his name is Stephen Hawking. Anybody know that name? Stephen Hawking. Uh, there is a movie about his life. It's called The Theory of Everything. And Hawking is probably one of the greatest uh, theoretical uh, physicist thinkers of our generation uh, next to nobody but Einstein. Uh, he was in search of a unifying equation that would uh, give him the meaning and the purpose of life, an equation that would unify all things. And this is what the theory of everything is about. And I have a clip uh, for the movie that I want you to take a look at. Okay. All right. Very good. Push it as hard as you can. Push it. Push it. As hard as you can. I am pushing as hard as I can. Wait. Hey, come on. One, two. Why won't it? Right, right. Fourth finger, fourth peg. It's a progressive neurological disorder that destroys the cells in the brain that control essential muscle activity, such as speaking, walking, breathing, swallowing. The signals that muscles must receive in order to move are disrupted. The result is gradual muscle decay, wasting away. Eventually, the ability to control voluntary movement is lost entirely.
I'm afraid average life expectancy is two years. There's nothing I can do for you. What about the brain? The brain isn't affected. Your thoughts won't change. It's just that... Well, eventually, no one will know what they are. I'm ever so sorry. So Hawking receives uh, this horrible diagnosis uh, that he has to live with for the rest of his life. It's actually ALS is the disease, Lou Gehrig's uh, disease. And uh, he was given two years to live, uh, but he actually ended up living till he was 76 years old. He just died uh, last year, and he famously said uh, in an answer to a question, of what his philosophy of life is um, that allows him to continue because he is not a religious man. This was the question that was posed uh, to Stephen Hawking. And Hawking responded by saying, however bad life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. And then he had this curious statement to me. Where there is life, there, there is hope. It's a very curious statement because uh, he, he was well known to be an atheist. And it's irony to me that you can find hope. And here's a man who spent his whole life searching specifically for meaning and purpose. Like this was his mission to find the theory of everything, the why, right? And here is a man who says that there is no God. Well, when we're talking about why do bad things happen to bad or good things happen, no, bad things happen to good people, right? You might be saying in your mind, without actually verbalizing it, well, Hawking is an atheist, right? So Hawking falls on the lines of what we call bad people. Therefore, he kind of deserves what he gets. You might be saying it. Like, you're not verbalizing it, but you're like just quietly thinking, Hawking might deserve what he gets. Let me tell you a story about a man that I once knew, one of the greatest men that I ever come across in my life. His name was Paul. And every time Paul spoke, the scriptures came rolling off of his tongue. Didn't matter what the... Paul could say hello using the word of God. It was that sort of fluid with uh, how he spoke. And Paul, I guess it's probably been, I don't know, maybe 
maybe six or seven years ago now. Great. Man, Paul was, Paul was a man of God. One of, he, he reminds me, he's the male version of Judy. That's how I think about him. And Paul uh, comes to work one day, and he tells me that his son, who's in Colorado at the time, uh, he's an Army Ranger. Uh, his firearm accidentally discharged in his room and uh, shot him in the head, killed him instantly. I was like, oh, man. Like, what do you do with that kind of news? And Paul was so proud of his son. He was so proud. As Paul uh, continued forward, his wife, uh, not too long after this, uh, contracts or she, she's diagnosed with cancer. And then following the diagnosis, along with the mourning of the son, they begin to have marriage problems. Paul's wife recovers. Then Paul gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And this is, all, everything that I'm telling you happens within a two-year window. Paul gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. About four months later, his wife's cancer returns. They're still struggling through their marriage and all of this. Two months later, after her diagnosis, she dies comes back with a vengeance, quickly gone. In less than 18 months, Paul's wife and his son have been taken from him. And when Paul walks into work on chemo, he's bald, he's got a smile on his face, telling you how good God is. And then... Less than six months later, Paul dies. That's the end of the story. And here's a man that I look at and I think, well, Paul is not my definition of a bad person, but his life goes in a way that in lots of respects I don't even think is fair. You know? not even fair. Well, let me tell you something. Herein sort of lies uh, the problem. I look at life and whatever your definition of bad or good or evil or whatever, whatever those definitions might be, I look at life and I see a sense or have this sense that things just don't make sense. That things aren't necessarily fair in my eyesight. Like, I'm looking at it, this doesn't seem fair. It's not fair for um, Hawking to, uh, he's a young man, life's just starting. And he gets this terrible diagnosis that's going to leave him essentially an invalid for the rest of his life. It's not fair that Paul would have to experience that his son and then his wife and then his own life is lost to cancer. These things aren't fair to me. 
And the question that sort of undergirds and a current that goes through all of life as I'm considering these things is, one, where is the justice? That's the question. You talk about fairness. Talk about why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? You're really asking this fundamental question that sort of undergirds everything that is taking place. And that is, where is justice? There she is. Wave your hand. That's my daughter. Her name is Justice. It's like, where is she? She's right here in the back. Where is justice? I was about halfway through Job, uh, and I began to sort of recognize a pattern. Like, I wasn't really um, connecting with any of the characters in the story. I wasn't relating to Job. I was like, Job, why are you treating God like this? I wasn't relating to his friends. Friends, why are you treating Job this way? What, like, why are you, why are you saying, God, why are you treating me like this, Job? And friends, why are you saying Job must have done something? Instead of being there to comfort him and be there for him, the friends are like, you know you've done something wrong because look at how your life is turning out. And there is uh, this undercurrent even in the story of God is a just God. Therefore, when bad things happen, it must be because you are bad. And when good things happen, it must be because you are good. Because this is how God operates. This is the undercurrent in the story. And once I figured out that that thing was kind of running, I was like, oh, it makes sense. Well, there must be a little bit something more to it. And there are two fundamental assumptions that the people in the story make that I think are important for us to really understand the full context of the story of Job. One is that God is just. That is one thing that the people are banking on in the story. The other thing that they're banking on is that death is final. Why do you say that? Well, look at several passages that I pulled up, and I'm going to bring it all together here. In Job 7, 9, uh, Job says, As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. In Job 10, 21, Job says, Before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow. In verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 22, Job says, For when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return. Uh, this idea that death is final and God is just means that God has to enact justice here and now because there is no future justice that will come about because death is final. That's it. We go to the dirt, we never come up, and that is all that is to it. If justice is, if God is just and death is final, that means that God has to enact justice here and now. That means when you do bad things, you get bad things. And when you do good things, you get good things. 
This is the basic premise and assumption that is being made throughout much of the text in Job. Now, Job is sort of, uh, if, you, if you read through Job, it's like this. You know, one minute he's praising God, the next minute he's down. One minute he's like, you know, God is, God is in control. The next minute he's like, uh, it, it seems like this thing isn't, isn't fair to me. He's sort of in this whirlwind of emotions. And so one thing that I figured out is that Job uh, is, uh, as the story progresses, his view even begins to waver some on this idea that death is final because he's thinking, I'm going through what I'm going through and I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. Uh, Certainly there has to be justice in all of this and I am innocent. And so you get a hint of that in Job chapter 14, verse 11 through 15. Job says, so, uh, and you see him make this shift in the actual verses. So, uh, a man lies down and rises not again to the heavens are no more. He will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath has passed. He's saying it's better for me to be dead so that I don't have to go through what I'm going through, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Then listen to what he says here. If a man dies, shall he live again? He's asking the question. All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. He's saying, is there a chance here? Like even if I, being dead is better, but is there a chance, right, that I could come back and live again? Understanding these fundamental assumptions unlocks the book of Job. All right. Now, if you have no concept of life beyond the grave, then you have no concept of an eternal judgment. And it dawned on me, I remember back in my seminary days, that the people during this time, like it just, there was no, there was, there was no revelation about it. Like they had not seen anything or would have any reason to believe that there was anything beyond the grave. Like this is just sort of how they thought about things. And so if there is no, nothing beyond the grave, there is no eternal judgment. Uh, there is no judgment. There is no eternity. Like, there's nothing beyond the here and the now. They had a temporal view of the world and not an eternal one. I'm going somewhere. Therefore, God's justice is operating in the temporal and the here and now. All right. Now. Why did I pick the theory of everything? Because I've understood that unlocking Job is like unlocking the key of life. Figuring out this about Job is like figuring out the theory of everything. Uh, I think about why did Satan go to God with the assumption that we ourselves 
uh, sort of generally speaking, that if you took a man like Job, who had all that he had, if you took it away, Job would turn his back on God. Why did he think that way? Look at Job chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. The devil says, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. After he fails the first time, he goes back again to God. In chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he says, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Was, was he right? In one sense, absolutely not. But in another sense, this idea that people are so focused on and so wrapped up in what is in front of them, that if you take those things away, that they would think differently about who God is. This is sort of the human condition and how we operate. We operate in the here and the now. What's in front of us? What is uh, right here and right now? And if those things don't go our way, a lot of times we tend to fall completely apart. Let me just make a statement. This is going to be a bold statement. Don't put it up yet. Don't put it up. Don't put it up. Don't put it up. This is going to be a very bold statement. I know that uh, it's not going to sit well, but I want to make sure that you understand where I am coming from in all of this. Now, let me first acknowledge that all things come from God. He is Lord of all. Any blessing that you have, anything in life comes from God. You with me? Amen. Now, here's my statement. What we have is not a measure of how blessed we are. Stuff, things, are not a measure of God's justice or his blessing. As a matter of fact, it is the worst thing that you can measure your life by in terms of how much you have or don't have. Jesus got it. This is why the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached in Matthew chapter 5, he addresses what it truly means to be what? Blessed. What does he say? Matthew 5, 3 through 12, he says... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Understand it like this. This thread goes through all of history. Even the Pharisees in their day thought that because they had accumulated so much that it was some sign of their righteousness and how blessed they were. And God comes on the scene. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You got it completely backwards. The first is last. The last is first. What's left is right. What's up is down. Like, he completely turns it all around. He says, if you're being persecuted and are suffering, you are blessed. Nobody thinks like that, right? Nobody wants that. That's not what Job wanted. That's not what I want. I want you to see that my life is good. And the reason why it's good, because I have accumulated all this stuff that shows you how good God is to me. Blessings are spiritual. Not here and now, not what you see with your eyes, uh, or I should say not what you, uh, uh, it's, it's not a fleshly kind of thing. Spiritual, blessing, everything that Jesus says is a spiritual thing. Well, don't believe me? Look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be doing a whole lot of reading, right? Why not? I'm reading the scriptures anyway. Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 1. Here is blessing. I love this passage. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 3 through 14. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even, how has he done this? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption Uh, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He's talking about blessing here to the praise of his glorious grace, that which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things uh, on earth. We're talking about blessing. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, again, according to the purpose 
of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, talking about blessing, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Talking about blessing to the praise of his glory. As a matter of fact, uh, the things that Paul says we've been blessed with are spiritual, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These are things that you can't even see with your eyes that God has blessed you with. They can't even show the measure uh, to which things might be good or bad or right or wrong or any of that in your life. God has blessed his people beyond measure. The word says that he has lavished his grace on us. Well, why do I say it's the key to unlocking everything? When we put our faith and trust and hope in temporal things that we can see, when we make those things the measure of who God is and what he thinks of us, we view God no different than Job and his friends initially viewed him. When you say to yourself, Lord, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I have lived a life that is not requisite of me uh, having to go through what I am going through. When you say to yourself, Lord, this is too much for me to handle. I shouldn't have to deal with these circumstances in my life. It's too much. For me, even to ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And to believe that it has any sense of truth means that you have misplaced your faith. When everything is focused on the here and now, and your measure, of how good or bad your life is, is based on either the stuff that you have or the circumstances that you find yourself in. When that is your measure of who God is with regard to your relationship with him, when you consider those things, your faith is misplaced. Your faith is focused on things which can be seen, which is not faith at all. If you're worried about what you can see, and that is the measure, your faith is misplaced. You have to be able to look at things from an eternal perspective to some degree. You have to be able to hope and trust in the promises of God, in the things not seen, 
And the things that he has blessed us with that don't equate to the stuff that we have or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I'm putting my hope and faith on the precious promises and God's eternal purpose. Job kind of hints at this. I said that Job was sort of up and down and he makes an evolution through the story. So like first there's like no death is final. God is just. Therefore, Everything that I get and all that happens to me is a result of God's judgment being righteous here and now. And then we see him say, well, maybe there there has to be something more to this because if I am uh, righteous and still suffering, then I've got to have some measure of justice. Can 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 the dead live again? He asks this question. And then if you get a little further, look at what Job says in Job 19, 23 through 27. Job says, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Basically, he's saying, he's saying because I am going to die. If there was something that could tell my story and advocate for me beyond the grave, my own living, if there was something that would carry my words further, oh, if these things were. And then he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last, at the last, at the last, he will stand upon the earth after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job realizes that he has a need that he himself cannot meet. And he needs someone that will advocate for him. And guess what he says? Even though I don't have the thing that I can write down to carry it on beyond me, I know that my Redeemer Lives. It is the greatest, it's the most famous statement from Job, but it's the greatest statement of faith that we have from him. There would have to be someone who vindicated him in the end at some future point beyond his own living. I've got a couple of points here that I want to make real quick. One, Jesus is our living Redeemer. As a matter of fact, uh, Ephesians, if you go back to the passage that we just read in uh, verse 7, he says specifically, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. He is our living redeemer. He has bought us back, meaning that Jesus in the end will make this all right. Whatever you might think is bad, unjust, evil, Christ is going to make it right. 
He will make things that are wrong right, and he will vindicate his people. He will reward you according to your works, and he will judge things that are bad and good in, uh, and righteous and wicked in absolute terms. There will be no gray area. For us, we don't necessarily have the wisdom. God says, yes, bad, good, bad, good. Wicked, evil. Sheep, goats. He's got it already. Your suffering will not be in vain. Everything that you're going through. And here is sort of... uh, the bigger picture, kind of the unspoken thing. The question that we get from Job is why do good things happen to bad people? No. Why do bad things happen to good people? The question is never answered. God never addresses it. God never says, this is why, Job. As a matter of fact, when when God comes into the picture, God essentially tells Job, shut up and know who you are talking to. I am God. I am so great and so vast in all that I am and in my thinking that even if I try to explain it to you in the context and perils of all eternity, being able to see this thing from beginning to end, it would blow your mind because you can't even comprehend the behemoth, this animal. Like you can't even wrap your mind around that small thing. How can I answer to you. Never answers the question. God, Job, could not comprehend uh, the reason. Again, another one of my favorite verses, Revelation 21, 3 through 6. Our Redeemer, our living Redeemer, he will make everything right. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things brand new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, of the water of life, without He's going to make it all right. Everything that you are going through, understand that there is purpose. And God is in control. And he sees this thing from Alpha to Omega. And although we may not necessarily understand why why we are having to go through what we are going through, know two things. It is not a measure or a any kind of judgment on your righteousness or not righteous, on how good you are or not good you are, 
God has this thing under control and he has a purpose for what you might go through. And even if you're not having to go through it like that, understand that you're still under the purview of his purpose and control and all that you are and all that you do falls into the category of him directing and guiding and leading. This was the message to Job. I am God. I am in control of everything. Don't you worry. I've got things in hand. And here's my second point. Faith is living for eternity. Faith is living for eternity. Uh, You have to be able to see more than what's just in front of you. You have to be able to see it. The essence of our hope is in what is to come, not in right here and now. Job had lost all hope. He even says it. He says, where's my hope? Because everything around him was going to pieces. Last verse, Romans 8, 22 through 28. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit's help The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we are, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We're groaning and the Spirit is groaning too. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Don't measure your life by your circumstance. Don't measure your blessing by the things that you have. Understand that God has blessed us richly, spiritually. Things that are unseen. Things that are to come and his precious promises. He will make things right in the end. Even if you're looking at your life right now and you feel some sense of unfairness, know that God will make things right. And he will judge according to what a man thinks and what a man has done. He will judge rightly because he has promised us that. And I believe it in faith. So no worries. Like it's the key to life. Like I can, I can walk through my life and no matter what is happening, like I, 
I had, to, I had to really sit down and think about this this week. I can walk through my life, and no matter what is going on, no matter what is happening, no matter what I have or don't have, my circumstances have no bearing whatsoever, zero percent, have no bearing on who I am in Christ. And I can completely, wholly, 100 percent, trust, depend, lean, walk in him. Absolutely. It's the key to life. Understanding Joe, I never would have known it had we not gone on the journey together. I never would have known it. Now, I'll say this and I'll be done. Because some of you are looking at me like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, how is this the key to life? Just pray. Ask God to show it to you. My words are not enough. God's word can reveal it. But you can walk through this life and not have worry, anxiety, um, with no patience, with no, um, with no peace. You don't have to live that life. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be suicidal. You, you don't, none of this has to exist. These are tools of the devil. And he has made your circumstances such that you would curse the God and die. But God is saying it's not a measure. Your circumstances don't define you. And the stuff that you have is not a measure of my blessing. I have lavished my love on you. Pray with me. Lord God, I just ask right now that anyone in the sound of my voice who does not know you, Father, that they would surrender their hearts, they would surrender their lives, that they would come to know you intimately in a way that they can trust firmly and securely that we have a solid rock in Christ Jesus, that he is our redeemer, that he has bought us with his precious blood, that it can't be repaid, that it can only be accepted. We thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your kindness and your love. Thank you for all that you have done. Sing your name, we pray. Amen. If you want to know him, if you desire to know him, if you want to know more about him, come to me. We can talk about it. I'll tell you everything that I've got, as much time as you're willing to give to me, I'll tell you all about it. Stand, let's sing together.